Microphone check. One, two, three. City, city, sibilance, sibilance. Levels check. Good. Sounds good. One, two, three. Rolling and. Our brand of storytelling is very character driven, no matter if it's like a big tentpole project that's following, you know, an iconic athlete like Tom Brady or Kobe Bryant, who we worked with a couple of years ago. It's like, well, why does this matter? And we say, why sports matter? What is this telling us about the human condition or a community? I'm a snob, I'm a film snob. And like, we're making films. We're not making reality shows. And, you know, I think the main difference there is like intention. When you are going to follow a character across a year or something like that, what are we trying to say? Like, why, why are we doing this? Like, what's the deeper purpose? Because otherwise, you know, it's like my great fear is like, oh, God, this is a reality show. We just have like cameras rolling. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life. This is a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I'm your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 129, and it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of documentary film and the Documentary Life podcast. I'd like to take a moment to read something that came my way earlier this week. It was a timely reminder in many ways, a reminder of why we've been doing this podcast for nearly four years, at times weekly, at times bi-weekly, and why we continue to do this podcast. It is a reminder that we are serving people. Specifically, we're helping and inspiring documentary filmmakers, and the world over at that, 145 countries and counting. Lastly, It was a timely reminder, especially given this crazy COVID-19 time that we all find ourselves dealing with, in some cases not so well, eh? A reminder that maybe what we're doing with this podcast is even more important in some people's lives than in times past. That now might just be a good time for people to be discovering our little podcast and finding inspiration in it so that they also may be out there and telling some of these critical stories that are going to be needing to be told about what we've all been dealing with, again in some cases not so well, since this whole craziness began. Allow me to read this email that came from a William in New York. Hi Chris, I've listened to four podcasts today. I'm starting from the beginning and I'm really enjoying it. I'm working now on shooting stuff on COVID here in New York City. I don't exactly know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it anyway. I had an experience shooting the Hong Kong pro-democracy protests last year, which is now almost a completed feature project, something I had no intention of doing when I started. I just wanted to do something that inspired me and threw myself into the abyss of financial ruin and leaped without looking. And now I'm hooked, and I know it's what I'm meant to do. I've spent the last 10 years working a lot in photography, doing lighting. That's expanded to grip and electric and gaffing the last several years. Lots of fashion and commercial work. Love the craft of it and geeking out on grip and lighting. But found the Temple of Commerce empty and wasn't able to connect with the work on a deeper level. I guess if you go back far enough, I worked in film in 2004 to 2006. I was PAing on films and then detoured to other things. But I always loved film and wanted to work in it, but it just didn't really happen then. Back in school in SUNY Purchase, I did four short films as part of group projects in class. I think working as a PA on union films showed me the height of the mountain I had to climb, and I guess I got discouraged and didn't really want to be an AD. 
Not that as an additional PA hire, I was going to get enough days to get my 700 days to apply to the DGA in anything short of 5 to 10 years. Okay, maybe 6 to 7. Anyway, sorry for the delirious rambling. I always try to not send emails when I'm tired, but I like the idea of sending off this email when I'm in the throes of being enthralled with your podcast and feel you might appreciate it. I like how lo-fi and earnest it feels and how you're just trying to do something, and I relate so much to that right now. I can't say how excited I am now being brought suddenly back into the world of filmmaking since last year in a way I never would have expected 14 years later. And now, over these weeks, I've jumped back in again with this global event on my doorstep and no paid lighting work to keep me from picking up a camera. So now, I'm sitting here five episodes in, see that I was at four when the letter started, and just wanted to say I appreciate so much what you're doing, and it's helping me pass the time while I'm putting my COVID footage in bins in Premiere, something I'm just now teaching myself how to use. Looking forward to hearing a lot more of your shows and learning. Thanks again for what you're doing. William. First off, thank you, William, for taking the time to write down these thoughts. They truly touched me. They really did. And thank you, William, for allowing me to share with my listeners. There is so much love and understanding here, so much that I can relate to, so much that I think you, the listener, can also relate to. So I hope you won't mind if I take a few moments with some of them. Early on in the letter, William says, I just wanted to do something that inspired me and threw myself into the abyss of financial ruin and leaped without looking. And now I'm hooked, and I know it's what I'm meant to do. Boy, doesn't that one ring true. Finding inspiration in a project and simply jumping in completely, often with no net whatsoever to catch us, other than maybe our own hopes and dreams for the project, right? Taking that leap of faith, pushing all of our chips to the center of the table, and as independent doc filmmakers, these chips that I'm talking about are very much real monies. Oftentimes, our personal savings, our credit cards, maybe loans that we've taken out. Sometimes, for no better reason than because we have no other choice but to make this damn project, no matter the cost. Because no matter how much our rational, sane parts of our brains scream that we're absolutely crazy, spending all of this time and money making a film that perhaps only a handful of people might ever actually see, no matter how much of a defense our logical minds tell us that we should run the other way and never look back, we still find a way to come up with the next bit of financing, still find more time to commit to our films still find a way to make this ridiculous thing that we just can't seem to stop thinking about. And then maybe worse, once we've done it, and looked financial ruin right in the face, and nearly died from sleep exhaustion or driven ourselves into deep depression, worse yet, we wake up one day and realize that, holy shit, I may be sick because the truth of the matter is that I love doing this, and in fact, I might just be addicted to doing this thing, it might just be what I was called to do in life, This thing called documentary filmmaking. William goes on to talk about working in commercial film and fashion photography for 10 years as an electrician, as a gaffer, but that he found the temple of commerce empty and wasn't able to connect with the work on a deeper level. Boy, does that one ever resonate with me. I've said a number of times on this show how I spent years working my way up from PAing to shooting and directing, working in commercials, reality TV, corporate video, infomercials, etc., etc. And while I have always appreciated the opportunities that working in film and TV has given me, 
It has allowed me to work directly in an industry that I've always wanted to better understand. It has allowed me to hone my filmmaking craft. It has at times allowed me to make a good living. But what it didn't ever really fulfill, and I'm talking even from day one here, it didn't fulfill my desire to be a part of something truly impactful and meaningful. The kind of work that only making documentary films could ever accomplish, at least for me. Documentary has always enabled me to not only feel good about the work that I was doing, but it allowed me to connect with humanity and tell human stories in a way that commercial never really does. It's why, even from day one of working in the industry, I knew that I wanted to produce my own films, and that those films would most certainly be of the documentary variety. Towards the end of the letter, William says, I can't say how excited I am now being brought suddenly back into the world of filmmaking since last year, in a way I never would have expected 14 years later. And now over these weeks, I've jumped back in again with this global event on my doorstep and no paid lighting work to keep me from picking up a camera. Let me just say that it never fails to amaze me the number of times that I've heard a similar story as this that someone may be burnt out from the film and TV industry, or that after going to university for film, or having an interest in filmmaking early on in their lives, simply found themselves in an entirely different career for one reason or another. Maybe they didn't think they could sustain themselves or their families by working in film, or certainly documentary film, right? There are many reasons that we don't necessarily follow our passions. But here's the thing about passions. They sure have a funny way of showing up later on in our lives, if we've not been nourishing them all along, right? And documentary film is certainly no different here. I've received many emails from listeners telling me that after 10, 20, or even 30 years of being away from their filmmaking dreams, they've suddenly found themselves back to the world of their passion. They have found their way to picking up a camera once again and engaging with the world in this incredibly important and intimate way that they'd thought they'd long lost touch with. And they'd rediscovered something wonderful about themselves that maybe lay dormant for quite some time. They'd come back to their lost love, to documentary filmmaking. William, I really want to thank you again for this letter. I have much gratitude for you, my friend. The last thing that I'll say about this amazing and thoughtful and timely letter is that it is a reminder that this podcast is on the right track, that it is, in fact, worthy of producing week in and week out. Many, many hours writing, recording, reaching out to guests, prepping for interviews, recording those interviews, editing all segments, writing show notes, as well as the accompanying newsletter. So producing each episode, and outside of the occasional sponsor, doing this entirely on my own dime. I feel truly blessed to be a part of this show. Again, it's not always easy putting this thing together week in and week out. No one is paying me to do this, and I have a zillion other things that require my attention. Finding freelance work, family, our own film project in Elvis of Cambodia, other ones that we're currently developing, and now, of course, this damn COVID-19 thing, right? But I do want you to know that there is a reason that I keep coming back to this show. That I keep making sure that I don't treat it as something that I, that I take for granted or, or that I have to simply get done so that I may concentrate on these other more, maybe more pressing matters. But that it gets done in a way that is not only, of course, professional, but in a way that continues to inspire and inform and make an impactful connection with you, the doc filmmaker. 
make a connection with you, Doc Lifer. I am honored to be helping in any way that I can, helping you to make better stories, better documentary films, so that people can better understand their lives around them, better connect with one another around story. The world is changing around us, and who knows where this is all headed, right? So let's continue to take heart that we have this show. We have solidarity in being doc filmmakers, and there really aren't a lot like us out there and that we have the ability to either be capturing new stories or continuing to work on stories that we've already been working on. So thank you, Doc Lifer, for tuning in, paying attention, and getting out there and doing what you love to do. You all inspire me, and I think you all inspire one another. Thank you again for joining me today, here on The Documentary Life. I want to give a quick thank you to the music licensing platform Music Vine, who have kindly supplied music for today's programming. If you need music for your film, head over to Music Vine and use DocLife15 to get an additional 15% off any of their music license subscriptions. So you've got a great idea for a documentary film. Awesome! I'd love to hear about it, but I don't have a ton of time. Can you tell me about it in 30 seconds or less? Oh, you don't quite have your pitch down yet. Okay, that's fine. What's your website where I can find more information? Maybe a press kit I can take a look at. You don't have one. Well, have you thought about how you might raise some funds to help with the costs of making films? They can be expensive, right? You haven't. Okay, maybe just tell me about your audience. Who's going to want to see your film? Who will you be marketing it to? You don't know this either. Okay, then I'm going to assume you haven't thought about how you'll be getting your film out into the world then, right? I think I see what's going on here. I was once in your shoes. A great idea for a doc. Camera in one hand, a boom mic in the other. But other than that, not much other than a whole lot of excitement and gumption. And that's great. You'll need all of that. But you'll also need a heck of a lot more if you're looking to make the kind of documentary film that you can be proud of. The kind that people will want to see and will impact them. The kind that won't break the bank while you're making it. And dare I say, you might even make some money from. You need support, and we've got you covered. We built the Documentary Academy with you in mind. We've got all the resources you need to make a successful documentary film you can be proud of. Come and enroll at thedocumentarylife.com academy, and let's turn that doc idea into a reality. Gotham Chopra is an American author, filmmaker, and entrepreneur. He is the son of alternative medicine celeb Deepak Chopra, a man who would be the focus of his first documentary feature, Decoding Deepak. 
In 2015, Chopra created Religion of Sports, a six-part documentary series examining how sports can profoundly influence societies and cultures in a manner that extends beyond entertainment value. Religion of Sports is also the name of the media company which he co-owns with Michael Strand and Tom Brady. Speaking of Brady, the quarterback and his jersey are the subject of religion's latest documentary, The Great Brady Heist. Welcome to the show, Gotham. I appreciate you coming on today to the documentary life. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here and, and always like talking to two uh, fellow artists and with fellow artists is, is really exciting for me. Absolutely. So, so Gotham, I think a nice way to start these conversations, we always like to get a little bit of context. How did you find your way to documentary? You know, I think I've always been just a storyteller and like someone who's really been both as a consumer, uh, you know, loves great stories. Growing up, you know, I'm first generation American um, in terms like I'm the first person in my family to be born outside of the Indian subcontinent. Right. And so growing up in America, how we kind of connected culturally with um, my ancestral homeland, India, was like through was through comic books and just like, you know, like videos and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I was always like from the ground up from, you know, from as far back as I can remember, like just really passionate about mythology and, and stories and just understanding the way the world worked um, through great storytelling. I think over time, you know, as as I sort of like evolved, you know, and I was just like one of those people early on who's sort of like fascinated with cameras and just like always trying to document things. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, you know, my first iteration really as a filmmaker was more as a journalist, as a reporter. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think it really coincided probably turn of the, you know, 2000 with like the evolution of, of technology in terms of um, camera technology, Completely, and yeah. technology and then social media. So it's sort of been a genesis across, you know, as far back as I can remember. So a lot of the focus of today's conversation is going to be about sports documentaries. And and it seems to me that you're a great person to talk to about that. That's why we've had you on today. So I think we should just get right into that, which is Religion of Sports. Of course, there's Religion of Sports, the six-part documentary series originally, which you did in 2015. And then there's Religion of Sports this big media company that produces things like podcasts produces obviously uh, long and short form video. How and why did religion of sports become a thing for you? Yeah. You know, growing up in a place like Boston, Massachusetts, which is where I was born and raised uh, first generation American. You know, I, I was a huge sports fan. I, I sort of looking back, I realized like sports was like how I became or yeah, how I assimilated to America, like, uh, you know, my family all from the Indian subcontinent didn't know who the Red Sox or Celtics or Patriots or Bruins were but, like for me growing up um, in Boston, going to high school with, you know, mostly Irish Catholic kids, you know, born, you know, from gener- going back generations in, in the Northeast, like sports was how I I think identified and and yeah. became part of a community. So I always just like was a huge sports fan. I think over time as I grew up, um, and my father in particular, you know, had his own, you know, his professional transformation into becoming Deepak Chopra, who we all know right now as like you know this spiritualist and best-selling author and et cetera, et cetera. Really started with a personal transformation in his own life, probably when I was about a I was a teenager, um, 
and I, I think looking back, you know, now I realize, and I used to say this to my dad, is like, you know, everything you talk about in wisdom traditions and spiritual traditions, religion, et cetera, exists in sports. Like Fenway Park is a cathedral, right? Like sucks. <laughs> when I was growing up, we're a cursed franchise. Um, the Celtics and the Boston, old Boston Garden was a hallowed ground and the, you know, the big three and all that stuff. Like I saw sports through as much as a fan I was. I also saw it through this sort of unique lens. It's how I consumed it yeah. um, was through this kind of quasi-spiritual um, perspective. Yeah, yeah. I'd say the origins of religion and sports really like um, go back to that. And then I think, you know, more from the filmmaking standpoint, I, you know, I was, like I said, a reporter and a storyteller and all this stuff. And I think it was really around... I don't know the exact dates when ESPN launched, you know, the 30 for 30 franchise. Right, right. But 30 for 30 for me as a young filmmaker sort of became, and I think for a lot of people, became a thing. Is like, oh, I can be a sports fan and a filmmaker <laughs> at That's the same right. time. Like, you know, I think before that, it was just kind of like, yeah, you did sports on your own time. Like, that was like a, a personal passion. Right. 30 for 30, you know, kind of legitimized it in some ways as an art form. And I remember, you know, the, the two Escobars and Once Brothers and some of these things that yeah, were just... two Escobars was great. <laughs> and like, you know, it sort of brought together my passion in yeah. the world of sort of reporting and, and, you know, like issues going on all around the world and sports. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of how I, the early sort of inkling of like, I think while I was sort of working on Decoding the Epoch, I started to watch all these 30 for 30s and be like oh like i could do this but with the thing that i'm most passionate about yeah amazing right yeah what what is it about sports right what is it about sports that makes such compelling documentary i mean sports are first of all they're they're mythic right sports are about human potential sports are um about you know the thrill of victory and triumph but also the tragedy of you know failure and and loss um, so I think like it has like all the sort of story elements and, you know, overcoming adversity and, um, just struggle and stuff like that. So I think it has all the qualities that make for great storytelling, but I also think like the universality of it, like I'll say there's, there's not a place on the planet you can't go where people aren't obsessed with sports. Mm. And sometimes it's like the biggest, you know, you go to Spain and, FC Barcelona and Real Madrid are like yeah. the two, probably, you know, two of the most iconic and in the um, world. <laughs> franchises and, and, you know, multi-billion dollar um, franchises, each of them. Yeah. But it's a, there's a passion there. Yeah. Then you can go like to, you know, you said Cambodia, I'm sure, or rural Tibet, um, et cetera. Like, and you find in every village, there's, you know, kids obsessed with the sport, oh, either yeah. that play or somehow they're you know watching those fc barcelona and they're watching the you know ronaldo's and messi yeah. so, <laughs> um, and so like it's you know wherever you go people are sort of passionate about these sports and these communities form so um yeah i think it's just it's you know and as much as i am a fan of you know i can really watch any sport and like you know participate and still diehard fan of like those boston teams yeah. i think from a storytelling perspective i always like look at sports as this great backdrop for for storytelling like i'm i'm not one of those you know we don't do a lot of like whatever you would call like the all or nothings or the you know just like the sports stories right it's always trying to say like how does this appeal to uh, a fan 
that again, why I like 30 for 30 so much is like, you know, how does this appeal beyond the fan? I should say that's right. Person who's not, you know, doesn't particularly care about sports, doesn't really care about that team, but that can just sort of like, you know, see the, see the deeper story there. Well, and it segues perfectly into my next question, which is really, how do you make a sports doc something a non-sports person would want to see, right? Because we consider ourselves as doc filmmakers, storytellers. So regardless of what, and, and often as doc filmmakers, we're embracing a passion that we might have, right? Or we're exploring a passion that we might have or somebody else has that maybe a lot of other people do not have. So in the case of sports, you're presenting a story, you're presenting a documentary film, and a large part of your audience may in fact be, or no, a segment of your audience may in fact be a non-sports person. So is that something that you're you're pretty conscious of when you make your doc films, or is that something that religion of sports is conscious of? Or do you guys just say, look, we know what our audience is. These are docs meant for people that consume sports. No, I, I mean, I think it's almost like, I'd say our brand of storytelling is very character driven. And so it's really trying to, I, I think like the, the DNA that has evolved in the company over the last few years, no matter if it's like a big tentpole project that's following, you know, an iconic athlete like, you know, Tom Brady or Kobe Bryant, who we worked with a couple of years ago, et cetera, is, or it's like, you know, just it's the non celebrity athlete or, or something like that. It's like, well, why does this matter? And we say, why sports matter? Mm. Uh, what What is this telling us about the human condition or a community? And and we really sort of agonize over that point of view. I mean, I'd like to say, you know, I, I torture whether it's, you know, my um, collaborators or even sometimes our subjects to say, you know, there's a, I think I can definitely say this with, um, with your audience, which is like, I'm a snob, I'm a film snob. And like, we're making films, we're not making reality shows. And, you know, I think the main difference there is like intention. Like when you are going to follow a character, oops, sorry about that. When you're going to follow a character across a year or something like that, what are we trying to say? Like, why, why are we doing this? Like, what's the deeper purpose? Because otherwise, you know, it's like my great fear is like, oh, God, this is a reality show. We just have like cameras rolling. And that's, you know, that's like my. <laughs> you are someone who is connected to, with connected to high profile names at this point. And you and quite frankly, you may have been at an earlier age uh, because of who your father was. So my question for you is. Speaking to our audience, first and second time doc filmmakers, who may not and probably most likely don't have the kind of connections or access to, that someone like yourself or that religion of sports does, how can we start to become uh, connected or how can we start to gain access if we believe we have a great story um, and maybe it involves a, a, a pro sports celebrities or a pro sports league entity. I'd love if you could share some tips on, look, if I'm not connected to somebody, if I don't have access, how do I start to gain some access to make my sports documentary that maybe is about a, a league or a team or about a, a, a well-known a, a high profile name? Well, I mean, we can certainly get into tactics, you know, in terms of like how you reach out, who do you reach out to, what do you say? I'm and in. I mean, I love it. I love it. Happy to do that. But I would say, you know, first, it really goes back to that um, core, like, what's what's the story? Story. I think access to some degree has sort of become, 
you know, I say this obviously from a place of privilege, but like yeah. because we have access, but is it's a sort of like um, it's a commodity. Like everybody has access. I mean, people, mm-hmm. you know, every athlete I work with right now, big or small, most of them have. You know, some of them have their own production companies. Everybody's got a, a camera in their hands. Everyone's <laughs> documenting everything. Everyone's got like a big social, you know, an Instagram following or yeah, Facebook right, account or right. whatever. <laughs> and so it's like a lot of the things that used to be like, so, oh man, like I've got access or, you know, I know somebody at Netflix or Facebook or whatever. Like those don't matter as much, I would say. Hmm. I think the defining thing is like, okay, cool, you got access, but like, like I said before, what are you trying to say? Why are you doing this? What's the point? Like, what's going to separate this from the, you know, thousands of other pieces of content that are sort of vaguely about the same thing or the same person. And so I really think, you know, we spend so much time on the front end of, and, and it's really in, in partnership with, you know, either the, the subject themselves or maybe the broadcast partner or whatever, or it's just internally our own team as we're ideating, ideating something is like, okay, why are we doing this? What are we trying to say? What's the point? What's the story structure? What's the conflict? You know, all the things that as storytellers that we sort of, you know, study for years, but like we sort of really, you know, go back to that hero of a thousand faces face like that Joseph Campbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I think that's a really important thing that, you know, sort of gets um i see this a lot actually with people who you know somehow have managed to get access with an athlete or something they just skip over that step and then like i said it sort of becomes a reality show they're just sort of like riding along in the car Mm. or you know in the apartment and they're just sort of like there's a camera rolling but i'm not sometimes sure why um so i would say that's the key and then i think like the reality but but, but how are we presenting that how are how are we presenting that yeah so okay so it's like you know, figuring out the point, and sometimes it does, of course, start with um, level of access. So I think that to answer your questions, like tactically, there's in some ways there's people use this expression now all the time, which is content is king, and you know that's the most important thing, <laughs> and or it's never been a better time to be a creator. Oh and yeah, I, oh yeah. I think to some sure I can I understand, like you know the point. Uh, everyone's saying but i also think it's it's kind of tough because yes there's there's endless content out there so how do you make your stand out noticed yeah and partly how you get noticed is first of all not to keep on repeating the same thing but is having a point of view Mm. um but then it's and i think that point of view itself helps differentiate so if i am an athlete a prominent athlete or a league or whatever and i'm being approached in a thousand different directions every day because you know for whatever reason is like the one that sort of makes a difference is the the one that has a point of view or a personal passion mm-hmm. behind it like mm-hmm. there's there, it just if i'm looking at you know a hundred of them like which is the one that really lands with me probably the one that like man like there's whether it's a handwritten note or it's a unique take and then just from a purely tactical point of view i mean everybody's got a social media handle it's you know we do a lot of just like digging deep on the internet like how to find contact information i mean yes we have great network and we work with an agency and all that sort of stuff right now but a lot of times i'm like going on to i'm like okay athlete x to figure out who their agency is Mm. the info at you know call it whatever you know agency and just write the email and i keep them short We don't like, you know, I know as somebody who gets a lot of emails, 
tend to like, oh, I think man. that's how I reached out to you, info at. <laughs> yeah, it's a really long email. Like, I, you know, I'm not going to say I don't read it, but I definitely yeah. put it aside and I will read it at a certain time. Uh-huh. Whereas if it's like short and to the point, but and yet at the same time, kind of like interesting and there's something unique about it. Uh-huh. I respond to it yeah. like that's just like what makes an impact and I so the, I I do that myself when I reach out to people yeah like, here's who I am here's what I want to do here's why you know here's a little bit of what I've done before yeah. and here's why this is really interesting to me yeah. and five minutes of your time ten minutes of your time yeah. and I I think it's you know it's pretty effective <laughs> like you know yeah you want to feel that sense of uh, purpose and and passion on you know when they're sort of taking the time yeah um, so yeah i think just um and look there's no substitute also for you know showing some of your work um and being able to say hey here's a link and i always sort of like communicate it's going to take three minutes of your time because you know mm-hmm. if you just link sometimes people think oh and you're you know it's coming from a filmmaker or something you're just in your mind you assume like oh great somebody just sent me their film <laughs> you know if I would say like, thanks hey, for hijacking I, 90 minutes of my life or assuming that I could give that to you. <laughs> yeah, but I say, Hey, I just need 60 seconds of your time. Yeah. Trust me. You want to watch this like thing for three minutes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so I preview it for them. So they know <laughs> it's good. You know? Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. We've been speaking with filmmaker Gotham Chopra. Gotham, we would be remiss without mentioning, of course, your current doc film, The Great Brady Heist. Uh, how did this yeah. film come to me? Obviously, you're connected with with Tom uh, through the company Religion of Sports. But when did you know that you wanted to make make uh, this particular doc? Well, so the you know my relationship with Tom goes back a number of years. Um, first personally, and he and I became friends. I don't know, like seven or eight years ago. Yeah. And then you know our first project together was actually a Facebook series, Facebook Watch series called Tom versus Time, which right. is now <laughs> three or four years old. And you know followed him across a season as he when he turned forty and. And like I, I became really just close to him, you know, as all the filmmakers who are documentary filmmakers were listening now, I was like, you know, I'd say the best films that are sort of subject driven are also like they're relationship driven. And so yeah. like across time, you know, what started out, you know, it was like, yeah, we were friends. But, you know, as Tom started to go through this process and face challenges, et cetera, like I... I was there and I was in his car, I was in his house, mm-hmm. I was like witnessing all of these things. And so like, you know, our relationship grew and I think that the film Tom versus Time, which is a docu-series, yeah. you know, really like um, took on that sort of, it had an intimacy to it that I think it helped obviously that it was Tom Brady and he had also not done anything before kind of in that way. So people just were like, I think blown away by it. But then yeah, his yeah. level of, candor and and just trust and stuff like that you could feel it in that series um so that was you know wildly successful did really well um got a lot of attention it's you know certainly helped that the patriots went all the way to the super bowl and despite the fact that like you know i'm a huge patriots fan probably the fact that they lost in such dramatic fashion it's probably a good thing for our (laughs) our storytelling oh wow yeah again it brought out uh a vulnerability in him and a sort of humanity in him mm. as struggled to deal with, you know, loss and failure um, that I think was relatable. But anyway, that was super successful. And then, you know, subsequent to that, yeah. I was approached actually by Fox Sports. Fox Sports, um, yeah. And they said, you know, hey, so listen, we have this interesting idea. 
and they kind of just you know everybody knew about the news because it was it was almost a year afterwards like we um this whole thing about the the missing jersey yeah. so and we were the broadcasters of this you know super bowl so you know obviously between the broadcast between all the you know behind the scenes footage security cameras um, you know, our relationship with NFL films, et cetera. Like we have like some interesting footage that would you like to take a look at it? We think there could be an interesting story here. Yeah. I said, yes, I went over and I started to look at it. And again, going back to something that I think every, um, filmmaker will relate to is like, when you start to see like what, you know, how many times you've been sitting in an edit room and you're like, man, like if I just had like that one piece of footage that was like, <laughs> into that corner or down that hallway where, you know, something happened, yeah. but like, you just don't have a piece of, you know, footage to support it. And so you have to do recreations or audio or whatever, like you're trying to do. Like this was the opposite. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> everywhere. Like there were, I think they told me at one point there were 99 cameras Fox had installed. So that That's wasn't even remarkable. including security cameras. Yeah. It was just, and so they had all these cameras and you just, just like everything that happened on that day on and off the field was captured yeah. in some way. And so again, as a filmmaker, you're like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You're like, yes. This is beautiful. beautiful. Any angle, any shot I want is all at my access. Great. Sign me up. Exactly. And so, <laughs> Um, it was, you know, pretty thrilling to come and I was actually the one who then reached out to NFL films and said, Hey, so we're going to do this thing uh-huh. and I'd love, you know, for you guys to be involved or not love and we kind of need you to be involved. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think they saw it in an, you know, they do so much, um, and I, as a fan, I'm a big fan of it, um, of their, you know, consumer of their content, but they do that big celebratory, like, you <laughs> review you know whatever yeah. type of stuff and like this was an opportunity for them to do something kind of different totally was yeah yeah they really responded to it and um you know we i remember early days we were sort of wanting to do we talked about like oceans 11 and the the big short uh, and just like stick yeah. How could we do something that was really different? So it was yeah. a lot of fun just developing that together. It's funny that you would make comparisons to, uh, you know, a narrative feature in, in that way because we had um, we had doc filmmaker uh, Billy Corbin on the show last year, and you know those guys down in Miami make some great and they they well I don't want to say they started out but early days they were doing 30, 30 for thirty with the U and then I think the sequel mm-hmm. to the U. And uh, that's that has always been their approach is that we don't yes we make doc films but we don't want it to be a, simply an informational film right we want this to be every bit as compelling as somebody who's consuming you know like a heist film you know so uh, I, I found that fascinating when when he kind of described it that way it's like look man it's not just informational content we want to present this and have it be every bit as interesting and compelling as somebody who's watching a genre you know narrative feature. And um, so, yeah, we've we've heard that before, and it, it totally makes sense. Yeah, Gotham, this has been a great conversation, and uh, I'm so happy to have, to have gotten you on the line to do this. I've been wanting to have some sports documentary talk for quite some time. We have we haven't had, had it really on the show all that much. Gotham, is there something that you you would like uh, our doc filmmakers to know? Somebody that wants to do a sports doc, what's what's something that maybe I have forgotten that you think you know what, Chris? It would be good for 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 doc filmmakers who are who are thinking of doing a sports doc. They might want to know this. What would that be? Well, I mean, I'd say there's two things, um, and you know, the first is 
I think that, you know, I don't think sports documentaries are any different than than um, other documentaries and just in terms of the genesis and development. It, it's like I said earlier, it's like think about character, think about point of view. Think of like, if I'm going to invest a year of my life or however long it's going to take, why am I doing it? What am I trying to say? And I really would um, sp- spend, you know, the time there and really sort of coming up with that. Um, I think it's really important. The second, and, you know, I say this with a tremendous amount of self-interest, yeah. is like, you know, I think back early into my career of, um, you know, as a as a filmmaker and as a sports fan, I looked at that 30 for 30 brand and it was... Um, I wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. Like it was something that was really cool. And I yeah. remember Spike Lee made one and like there were all these incredible filmmakers who did it. And it was like a club and it was sort of, it was like a North star for me to sort of like, mm. I'm figure out a way. So when you were asking me like, um, you know, how to reach out to athletes and stuff like that, for me, it was like, how do I reach out to ESPN? How do I sort of become part of this thing? Yeah. And I was pretty relentless. And that was, you know, I, I worked on an ESPN film towards the beginning of my, you know, documentary career. And um, that was really important to me. Yeah. And so, you know, in terms of what we're building at Religion Sports, I want to be that. Like, And we're starting to see that, yep. which is, you know, we're we're getting, you know, like you reached out, info at religionofsports.com. Yeah. is like we aspired I aspire to be that for this a new generation of filmmakers, yeah. which is, you know, I, I want to be the place where, you know, young filmmakers come, um, great storytellers come and say, hey, I have this thing. I have this idea. I have this access. I want to be a part of this thing. Um, and I was saying, yeah, look, the, the great thing about the times we live in is there's no format like, you know, there's feature length. There's, you know, we call them micro docs. There's docu series. There's, you know, social media posts, whatever, no matter what the format is, there's generally a platform to get it out there. So again, it's about the story. And we want to be the place where people are coming and saying, hey, I want to be a part of this thing you're building. And so um, so I would say that's the other thing. It's like, you know, keep reaching out and, and finding ways to sort of get your story out there. Well said. I really appreciate that. That's going to speak to a lot of people and uh, definitely offer some inspiration. So that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Gotham Chopra, for coming on to the Documentary Life. Really appreciate you coming on. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Don't forget, we'd love to have you join us in the Documentary Academy. Come and take a look at how we can help you make your best documentary film at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. That's thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.